Welcome to the Mal and Johnny Show. Today's going to be a bit different. I'm turning the tables on Mal. He's always been the interviewer, and now he's going to be the interviewee. I hope you like what, you, what I've done with the place, by the way. What's that psychedelia, the back here? <laughs> Is that is that the cover of your latest project? Funny you should mention that, Johnny. Funny, I'm in full promotion mode now, Johnny, because you know what it's like okay. when you've got a book out or a TV show. You've That's just got to, well, you've just got to do you it. You got to plug it. You got to plug it. Yeah. See, my grandfather used to say, if you if you want to be heard, you got to ring that bell, man. You got to ring it. that bell. So yeah. So, so tell me about it. Yeah. What kind of song is it? Well, it's um, you know, last year when we were doing the late night shows. And you yeah. used to come on and we, we used to have a chat. Well, I, we, we'd work from 10 until 1. And then, you know, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. There's nobody around. And you try and go to bed. You can't sleep. It's a bit like doing a gig, isn't it? You know? That's right, yeah. So, I, in the end, I just stayed in the studio and, and started writing lots of songs. So, basically, I've got a triple album waiting to go. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember? It was really hot last summer, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. It was really hot. So, I wrote, um, I wrote like a summer song. Uh, and I, I used to love all the music of the, of the late sort of late seventies, the Philadelphia sound. Oh, I loved that as well. Yeah, yeah. you know all the strings, it's an easy kind of lovely oh, strings as on the yeah, background. Bit brassy, like bit of this, bit of that. Um, and in yeah. fact, I, Elton used to love Elton John used to love that music so much so that because um, I, I was mani- I was pr- managed and produced by the same people as Elton, of course. Uh, That's and, Rocket Records. Rocket right? Records, yeah. And when he made that yeah. record, Philadelphia Freedom. Uh, yeah. he, he wrote it for Billie Jean King, but it's all about right. Philadelphia, and it had that Philadelphia sound. But of course, if yeah, you wanted yeah. that Philadelphia sound at the time, the, the key man in the world was a guy called Gene Page. He used to do all the string arrangements, and right, he used to do yeah. Barry White and all that. But of course, Elton John was the biggest artist in the world, so they just rang him up. So they okay. got they got the Barry White sound on it. it. I mean, that's why that record sounds so so great. And then he went yeah. to he went to Philadelphia and made some records with a guy called Tom Bell. And it wasn't a hit at the time. People didn't like it. But years later, it was, are you ready? Are you ready for love? So I've always loved that, you know, Detroit spinners. Yeah, and, yeah. And of course, you know, we're a long way from Philadelphia, aren't we? So, um... Well, yeah, the other bit. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the what's the title? It's called, I Still Think About You. I Still Think About You. Think about you. So it's about a, it's about a broken relationship, Johnny. You might not. Are you find, on the beach at the time talking about it? On the beach, the, 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 you can hear the waves. Somebody said it's like cr- Club Tropicana meets Daft Punk. So it's got <laughs> it's got the waves at the beginning, and uh, yeah. it's, a, it's about a relationship that's gone wrong, Johnny. You want you want you want understand this, but it's about a relationship that's gone wrong, and he's looking back on it years later and thinking, you know, I wonder if she's moved on. And he's saying, yeah. I yeah, I think about you a little bit. Well, actually, think about you every single day. Johnny. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I've had that feeling before. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but the thing yeah. is, when you write something, I mean, like when I write, when I've written books, I've written from my own experiences, obviously. Yeah. And is that the same with you, or is it just something you've made up? Or? Well, the, the the odd thing is. Um, Writing the tune was is one thing. Sometimes you know, sometimes the words come first. Sometimes you know, if you've got to write for a specific, you know, like doing the musicals, um, you know yeah. that the song's got to do this, got to be that tempo, it's got to say this yeah. sort of thing. But when when you're just writing for the sake and for, for the love of writing, you don't you don't know what's going to come out. Um, yeah. But what I've tried to do lately is is just once I've written the tune, is just sing. Sing so any... you do the tune before you do the work? Yes, yes. That's normally that, I'd be the other way around, so you'd have to write the words. Because I, I heard Elton talking once, and he said he always gets the words from Bernie Talk, and then he puts the music to it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You he can't... works the other way about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've done that, but I, it's funny, I suppose, because I'm, you know, it's, think about it now. Think it's, it's a hot summer's night. I'm in the shed. Mm. It's, it's yeah. half past one in the morning. 
you know well i'm just yeah. i'm just fiddling there and then so i wrote the tune and then i put the microphone up and i just start singing any old nonsense now uh, paul mccartney said that when he wrote the song yesterday for the first yeah. couple of weeks it was called scrambled eggs Scrambled eggs, do-do-do-do-do-do, scrambled eggs. You know, so you just sing any yeah, old yeah. nonsense. But actually with this one, the, the old nonsense basically came out. It rhymed and it sort of told a story. So I, I think the vocal on the actual record is probably the one that I recorded on the first day that I wrote the song. So it's And it's just the words seem to all sort of make sense. Yeah, yeah, oh, good, good. Hmm. See, yeah, because, I mean, I, 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 we've been speaking together now for what, nearly a year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know you're like my best friend, but I don't know your background, your, your, your writing background. Yes. I know you've had musicals out and so on and so forth. So you started writing when you were very young, though, didn't you? Yeah, I started writing when I was nine years old. Um, nine. My, my brother had a guitar, brought it back from Spain. Uh, I pinched it and he, um, he, he never saw it again. Then I started listening to all his records, Simon and Garfunkel, Cat Stevens and all that. And, and when I got to nine years old, I started writing songs. And fair yes. play, he encouraged me and a couple of other sort of, of his mates encouraged me. And so when I got to the age of 12, I had, I don't know, I had about a dozen, 15, 20 songs, something like that. And uh, a guy called Mike Nicholson, who's sadly no longer with us, he said to me, you ought to record these and send these to John Peel on Radio One. Now this oh, is this is God's John honest Peel. truth. I didn't know who he was because his programme started at 10 o'clock. He was past my bedtime. I'd never heard it. So I sent it sort of blind. And, yeah, and then a couple of weeks went past. And uh, Saturday morning, I had a letter, you know, from the BBC in the corner. I remember my mum bringing it up to my bedroom and said, don't, now, don't get excited. Now, it might be just, you know... And it's a rejection. Like, and we've all had plenty of those. And uh, he, he said... Um, uh, can you get your mum and dad to give us a call? And we'll, we'd love you to come and do a session for us on Radio One. And, and that's, you know, changed my life, really. So Fantastic. six weeks yeah, later, Elton John had signed me to his record label. And then I started working with these amazing people. And I think it's funny because, you you, you know, you if you get a chance to sit at the feet of masters of their craft, it's, it's a, you know, you've seen fantastic performers and you... You know, you learn, don't you? You hopefully you learn, learn from every. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But see, uh, like you said earlier, the, the recording business is totally changed. I mean, when I was recording at the beginning, back in the seventies, you went into the music publishers, they arranged it all for you. You went in the big studio, the big orchestra, yeah. and then when it was done, the music pluggers would take it around, all the disc jockeys, and all that. It's totally different now, isn't it? Yeah. When you say you've got a plugger, what does the plugger do for you? So the plugger, it basically is the is the middleman. He's the person who who works with the artist, and then he knows all of the people in the in the music industry from the promotional from a you know, like a radio, TV, yeah, that yeah. sort of point of view. Because you know it's really hard. There is so much there is so much music out there at the moment. How do you get your music played on a radio? And yeah. so he's got a very he's been in the business. 20 or 30 years, he's got a good relationship. Um, and yeah. what, what I, I like about those older pluggers, they don't just take your money. They say, I can try and do this, I can try and yeah. do that. There's no there's no guarantee with plugging because you don't know if people are going to like the record, but they have to like it themselves first of all, I think, yeah, these days, yeah. you know. So, yeah, talking about taking your money, I remember I had one record out. There was a girl called Jenny Howells, and she worked for Southern, no, Casner uh, Music. Right. Um, and she went solo to be a plugger. Right. So I bunged her whatever it was in those days, hundred quid a week or something, and she came with all these, these hit, these things. I got you the Jimmy Young show and so on, so I got so on, so on, I got top of the line. and all these things she got me, and then it hit the payola scandal, and she was involved in it, and everything was cancelled. <laughs> 
<laughs> Isn't it always the way, Johnny? You know? <laughs> oh, so close, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so close. So, so when somebody wants this record, they just go on to your website. Is that what they do? Well, yeah, it's linked on there, but it, it, no, it's it's sort of it's on all the streaming sites now. So it's it's funny because you you know none of these streaming sites make make the artist and very much money, but it's a, it's the way of getting the music. You know, in the old days, you used to tour to sell yeah. records. Now yeah. you sell, you know, you give away your records to tour. You know, obviously we can't I at the know, moment, yeah, but yeah. in a way, you, you need that promotion for people to like you as an artist and then to go and buy tickets to go and see you. So it it you know. The world keeps on reinventing itself, doesn't it? You know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I think you just there's no point in complaining about it. So it's on Spotify and Apple and all these Amazon Musics, and and every time yeah, it gets yeah. played, I think I get paid a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a penny. Yeah, tough one. Yeah, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> it's like lucky. when I get any TV shows I've done, I've shown on Dave, I get like four pence. <laughs> <laughs> every little help. <laughs> so tell me, tell me, how did you get writing into musicals? I mean, how did that come about? Well, the musicals was, uh, in, in a way, you know, when you, you start hitting brick walls, you know, it's a bit like you, you, I think you said, you said a week or so ago, when, you know, when the nightclub's finished, you thought, well, I've got to do something. So you, you know, you, I wrote, you a show. wrote a show. And yeah. and in the same way, it was the same for me. It was a, one of those periods where every door slammed, not just, you know, and slammed shut, bolted, yeah, yeah. locked with a chain on. I think, well, what am I going to do now? And, mm. um, you, you know, when you go to see, I, I can't remember which show I'd been to see now. Maybe it was, I mean, maybe I'd seen Evita on the TV or something, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's magical when they're able to do that and put it on a stage. And I just thought, right, I'm going to write a musical. And, the, the, you know, the big mistake was I told somebody, I said, I'm going to write a musical. And once you've said it out loud, you can't take it you back. Gotta it. It. You've got to do it. That's right. um, and it was interesting because I, you know, I hadn't been to college to learn how to write a musical. And I, uh, I learned an awful lot of lessons. I was working with a guy called Michael Bogdanov, who, uh, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Olivia Award winner, a great director, yeah, yeah, yeah. who uh, ever so respectful of the work, but, you know, not respectful enough to tell you, no, that doesn't work. Write that again change that yeah, yeah. you know and yeah. because i trusted him i did it and uh, learned a lot of lessons and it was it's interesting because you you know it's a whole package i mean it's it's funny making this record i've got lots of different people involved and maybe we'll talk about, about that before the end but you know when you go into a theater when you've got a director mm. and lighting and sound and you know 12 20 actors or whatever it is yeah, make, yeah, yeah. you were out of control it's out of control it's out of control yeah, I, did, I found it's good glad you brought that up because I wrote a play once. Well, I wrote a musical as well. I'll tell you about that. But I, I wrote a play about Dorothy's Quiz. I think I told you about mm. Mike, Mike Povey and I. And it was the same thing. We, we worked for two years on this. <laughs> and then we gave it to the director. And then we were like, felt, oh, we, we're not in control anymore. She's doing this, she's doing that. And she was a good director, thank God. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, we couldn't do anything about it. And it's like you're giving your baby to somebody else to bring up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's really hard, isn't it, as a writer? It's hard to sit back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, you well, know, I, I did this thinking musical once. It was called um, Man of Fire in English, but it was called A Lost School in Welsh. What, do you know David Howell, the actor? Yes, DH. D.H. Well, he came to me one day, he said, I want a musical, John. I said, what, when for? He said, well, I booked the theatres. I said, what? <laughs> he said, what on? He said, anything Welsh. So I, I thought of um, uh, William Price, you know, the one that burnt his son on the yeah, mountain. Yes. And we yes. wrote this musical about William Price. 
But it was such a... And then getting them all on the stage, like you say, it's your baby, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also directed it, so I had a bit of oh, well power. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But um, So yours first was what? Was the, the Cappuccino Girl? No, the first one was The Amazing Grace about the Welsh Revival, which was... All right, which yeah. was, We did that twice. We sold out the Wales Millennium Centre, you know, with that. And there was like, that was 20 people on stage, eight people in the band, articulated truck. Yeah. But, and the thing is, the first time I did it, and, you know, it's it, as you say, it's like two or three years in the making. You've got this massive build-up, all the rehearsals. You go on stage, you're on different touring, then it finishes, yeah. and then the next day, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's an anti-climax, isn't it? Yeah, everybody moves on, the circus moves on, everybody goes to different gigs. Um, so when it came back, I had it in my mind that I was never going to let that happen again. So I started, I was writing the next one while preparing for the second outing of Amazing Grace. That was about Tommy Father Boxer. Yeah. Uh, and then during, and again, that tour around Wales and it was great and everything. But then what I realised was, because uh, I was in the, I was the musical director, so I was sat on stage every night and everybody in the audience, well, not everybody, but 80% of the audience were female of a certain age. Right. Yeah. And I thought to myself, why am I trying to put my head against a brick wall to say, this isn't about religion, it's about a man and his battle with, is he insane? Or That's that amazing grace, and did he did he really meet God? Then there's Tommy Farr, it's not about boxing, it's a love story. I keep on, t I thought, why didn't I just write a show for these people, you know, the people yeah, who come to yeah. theatre? And I'd just yeah. written a song called Cappuccino Girls about uh, three girls who meet in a coffee shop, and I thought, I'll do that, I'll do that. And I also, yeah. do you know the economics of theatre is very interesting as well, isn't it? When you've got 20 yeah. people on stage, eight people in the band, articulate it, truck, and all that. It's, it's expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> so um, I, uh, it was funny because I was, um, I got a call from a guy in in America, in Minneapolis, a guy called Dennis Babcock, and he had a show called Triple Espresso about three boys in a coffee shop. But he was interested right. in the Welsh Revival musical. So I said, well, yeah, you know, it's 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 all there to go. It's been successful, blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, by the way, I've seen your website and I've got a, a show about three girls in a coffee shop. Well, actually, I had... You know, I had a song and a page which I'd sort of like done some scribbles on, and he, hmm. within four days, I was in Minneapolis. He flew me out Never. there because his show had been on for about twelve years and was coming to the end of its life, and yeah. so it seemed like so opportune. He, he ran it in the same theatre for twelve years, and then wow. he did a tour as well, Triple Espresso. And so I went out there, met with him, went back a couple of times during that year, wrote it, took a director out as well. We were all ready to go, and it was 2000, it must have been 2007, just going into 2008, when I was supposed to move to Minneapolis to, to launch it. And then the, the worldwide credit crunch hit. People just, there was no money around, and he, he the just... pulled out, did they? Pulled out, and he decided to carry on with, with his show, Triple Espresso. So, oh, uh, having written it, bummer. yeah, having written... Again, <laughs> It's a bit like your payola lady. Having written it, yeah. me and the director, who was based in Manchester, we put it on in Altrincham. And then having done it and put it up on his feet, uh, we yeah. put a, a little tour together. But it was much easier with five people in the cast rather than mm. 20. Just the, the economics of it, you know, because you can... You can actually make money, and, and that sounds terrible. I, I'm, you know, I'm not what they call. Yeah, but you've got to make money, otherwise, what are we in the business for? You Absolutely, you you're dead. If you don't make any money, you're dead. Yeah, it's never. See, people don't realise people in ordinary jobs. They don't understand. If we don't work in, we don't get anything. We don't get anything from the state. It's down to us what we've saved when we're earning a few quid, and yeah. then you've got to live off it. Got to, yeah, and then, that. and then you have to decide whether that money in the bank, whether you're going to pay 
you know, your, your mortgage for the year or whether you're going to invest it in something else. That's you know? right. Because you're like a farmer, aren't you? You know, you're, you're a far, you, you plough your field, you plant the seed and you cross your fingers and pray <laughs> that you will have a crop. That's right. You know, when you wrote it, any music, did you write, did you write the story like, a, like, a, like I write a book? So would you, like from experiences and stuff, did you actually write a story and then fit the songs to your story? Or did you write all the songs for it? No, I um, interesting. So this is interesting, isn't it? How, how people write. I used to get a big piece of paper and mm -hmm. put lots of markings on it, squares and lines and all that. Start, end, and how we're going to get to the, you know, like a cliffhanger at the end of the first act. And then, yeah. you know, how do you resolve it? And uh, with Cappuccino Girls, I, the story changed because I had to write it in a couple of weeks to go out to Minneapolis for the second trip. I, kept, I found out things about the characters. I know that people said that's strange, but, you know, I had an idea of their storyline, but I suddenly yeah, yeah. realised that one of them had this happen to them, one of them had had that happen to them, and it suddenly... And it was. Uh, were they based on real people, or were they just, just yes, three girls? three yeah. three type of characters? You know, they yeah, were, yeah. They were uh, so that when people came, when women came to see the show in particular, they'd go, you know, that's that's we 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 three girls meet for coffee, and she's that one, and I'm that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, yeah. one was a little mousy, one was quite brazen, one was one was a mum, and all of that. And so it, they all had their characters, and so they gave them all a backstory first. Yes, try to work yeah. out how they'd got how these str how three strange people had come together in this yeah. one moment. So then it gave you the possibility because they didn't know. You know, if you t you tell me your name is Johnny Tudor, now yeah. we, I, I've always known you as Johnny Tudor. I don't know, oh. you know, if if you're actually Joe Bloggs, but you believe people from the moment you meet them onwards. And, right. and, you know, we we have started to unpick our backstories here, here, there, everywhere. But, you know, yeah. you just accept people on face value at the beginning. So the three girls have accepted themselves. They've become friends. They know a little bit about them. They've got a feeling, but they don't know how they became the women they've become. And so yeah. um, the unravelling of so that it, has been Well, it was a big culture, wasn't it, up the valleys of, of, of coffee shops. I remember when I was a kid, you know. And they used to have a thing called the monkey run, which I didn't know what the heck it was. And it was like on a Sunday night, they'd be in their, their Sunday best, and I'd be walking around the streets. It was like a, you know, flirting with the girls in the streets, really. Yes. And they'd all go in the coffee shop and have the cappuccino and the brachis, yeah, as they used yeah. to call it, the Italian brachis. Yeah. And it, I've still got great memories of that, of, of the of the, the thing they used to pour the sugar out of. They oh. would do like a, had a funnel on it. And yes. it would like get you one teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. And, yeah. and it'd be thick, Foam on the top, and it would sink slowly through it. <laughs> a wishy coffee, a wishy coffee. Yeah. That's right. So going back to your record. Yes. Um. um so you, you you released it last week, and yeah. people can get it online, or they can go to one of these stream sites and so on. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's on YouTube. Oh, and the story is about a, a unrequited love or somebody who's it's been a, dumped. A, I, a, who's done the dumping, and who? How were they? Have they all moved? Have they moved on or not, Johnny? That's the thing. Have they moved on, or are they still? Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. if if you if you think you know, if they've moved on, Johnny, that's even worse, isn't it? You want them to be <laughs> suffering. You want them to be in tears <laughs> every night. I know, I know. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. People don't really. When you're young and somebody dumps you, I mean, I've had crushes on girls. They didn't give me a time of day. Yeah. And I see them now, you know, yeah. the boys on Tuesday. I think, what a, where were you when I knew you? <laughs> <laughs> But, the, you know, the interesting thing is, because you were saying in the old days, you know, you, they'd book a session for you. You'd turn up. Yeah. All the orchestra would be there. You'd, do, right. you'd sing along with the orchestra live. Oh, live in a box. Live in a box. 32-piece orchestra there. Yeah. And I remember when I did the Wood for Gibraltar Festival, when I won the contest, um, we did it in two takes. Wow. And we, I, it was a fantastic experience because we had um, 
Arthur Green, Arthur Greenslade, was that his name? He was a fantastic arranger, right? And he he was like uh, Engelbert Umberdink's arranger, and he was uh. Shirley Bassey's. And I had this huge orchestra. I cracked it here, haven't I? But the thing is, it was a good record, and it really did. But it didn't sell. And that's it, yeah. you think when you're in that studio. I made it. I'm gonna order my Egypt jam tomorrow. <laughs> And, and, and by the end of the day, me. by the end of the day, you could have a whole album done, couldn't you? You could have a whole album done in a day, you know? Yeah, that, well, like but I don't know about you. I like working with orchestra. Like, yeah. It gives you a bit of a kick. There was an album on, I forget, Sonata it was, and he did an album. This is when people didn't do this, singing with the orchestra. And he insisted on doing an orchestra, singing with the orchestra, like we used to in the old days, in a box with yeah. the big band. And he had all the best musicians. Yeah. And there was a video out of it. You must get it or look at it. Look it up. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And because um, he said you get a real kick from these or the orchestra. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Well, this, so this record is made completely the other way around. Now, and did you do all the playing on this as well? Everything? Or no. Just something? So, that, so I start off in the shed. And I write, yeah. and I do this, I play, and then put some drums on, da, da, da. and then, you know, because everything you do, even with you working with mates, you still want to make sure you don't take advantage. So you think, right, I'm going to have to pay something. Da, 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 da. So I've got my arranger, lives in Astrogun, like Andrew Griffiths, and I say, look, yeah. what do you think of this one? Um, mm. Do you think it could be, because it's got all these, you know, string-type, brassy-type things, in, in, it could be. And he went, mm, I think we can do that. So, that, that, right, there's a chunk of money gone. So I send it to him, and he does mm. these arrangements uh, for strings yeah. and brass. The real He plays real brass, but it's like synthesised strings. We get it back, right. and we go, ooh, it's pretty good. Last time, we went to Prague to record the orchestra. We can't do that this time. What should we do with the strings? It'd be nice to have them a little bit more real. He says, I know a string player who lives somewhere else. I will get him to multi-track himself playing violins. Oh, that'd be nice. Now you get it back and yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. needs real drums. The, the synth drums are all right, but we'll get Ryan. So we send it to Ryan. He plays along, he sends it back. We've got Ryan there, so you need a bass player. Well, I'll get to touch with Wall. So I email it to Wall. Wall emails his bass. But if you've got Wall, and you've got to get Tim the guitarist. So Tim, can you play some guitar? He sends it back in. Well, there's only Nigel in my band now, and Nigel's difficult. I mean, lovely, but difficult, because he works hard. He's, he's in Christopher's band. And he, right, okay. he's a fantastic keyboard player, bit of a nutter, but he's a fantastic keyboard player. And so I said, Nigel, can you just because I want him on the record because he's he's yeah, one yeah. of the boys. So I said, just do something, you know, clavinet yeah. or organ or something. Yeah. He said, well, yeah. I'm busy. I'm off to Ireland with Chris De Byrne. And, 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 and anyway, he sends me not one instrument or two, 17 different instruments of different synthesizers. Wow. And I mean, it's just like, so then you got to stick it all together. So it's like it's, all this stuff coming in from all around the world. Yeah, and, but um, they get this sampled sound as well, don't they? So oh, it, you know, it'll be played on a piano, but it's a sample of a proper violin or, yeah. or whatever, and you get, a, you get an authentic sound. It's really hard to tell the difference these days, you know. Yeah, Actually, yeah. It's, re it's really hard to tell the difference, Johnny, until you've got a real orchestra. Then yeah. you can tell the difference, and uh, it's right. really it's really strange because that that trip to Prague last year was it was a a real eye opener. We the string sounded great as samples, but then when you hear you know twenty thirty piece orchestra, you go, oh, that's that's wonderful. Do you know what? We've been lucky in this business. I mean, to be on a stage with that behind you, it's wonderful. Yeah, isn't it? yeah no, it you is. Know, it you is. Can, like somebody said, you only got to wear a nice suit and, and sing in tune, and you're there. You got this beautiful orchestra. <laughs> you know, 
and he's exposed to all this wonderful talent. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. So your back, musical background, did you learn properly to read music or I, did you do it I, for no, yourself? Or? I don't. I still don't read music. I still don't read still music. Don't read music. So I can read music because my old man was a piano player, so it, it saved me a lot of... I don't play an instrument. Yes. Um, but, like, when I'm abroad and I was doing shows and I'd lost some parts, I got the score, I can take it down, I can transpose it because he taught me how to do it. Brilliant. Which Brilliant. has helped me, but I wish really I'd kept... Because I used to start playing the piano as a kid. I was lazy. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I always wish I could play the piano now properly, but I, I never got around to it. My grandmother said, you'll regret it one day, and she's probably right. But I, it's a bit like... I try and put reading music a bit like a gallbladder. Bear with me on this, Johnny. I've had my notes. You've had your... <laughs> <laughs> Spleen. It's got some of that, right. You know, there's, there's lots of things in there, right? There's lots of things yeah. in your chest, and you've, you know that they're really important. Right, yeah, but I yeah. don't want to know how they work. I like the magic of it all working together, and it's a yeah. bit like I don't know why some things still work like magic in music, and in a yeah. in a way I don't want to know it's a diminished seventh going to a, a you know procrastinating fifth. I just yeah, yeah. I just want to go oh oh that's. I like that. And somebody will yeah. tell me why it's good. You know, Nigel, yeah, yeah, Nigel knows all the chords. He'll say, oh, that's because you've done this and done this. I don't know. And I don't really want to know. I still want to be blown away by the magic of music rather than yeah, the nuts and yeah. bolts of how it works. Also, I think if you're, if you're very um, academic or you're a good musician, sometimes you're not a good composer because you're, you're doing it by the book. Yeah. And you remember they saying about Nigel Kennedy? Because when he was a kid, he used to play by ear. And he was phenomenal. Yeah. And then Yehudi Menuhin took him on. I think it was Yehudi Menuhin. And he said, I don't want to spoil this kid's feel. He's got such a great feel. If I teach him what I, how I play, it'll be different. Yeah. Yes. And he had to make the right balance. And, and I, I know what he means there. Because I remember seeing Yehudi Menuhin playing with... Stefan Grappelli. Stefan Grappelli, so, yeah. Yeah, no, Stefan Grappelli. He had the jazz feel. And the other bloke did well, but he couldn't play it like no, Stefan Grappelli, no, you know what I mean? No, no. Sources for courses, isn't it? It is, yeah. And then, so, so the reason I've got this backdrop now, because I'm doing quite a, you know, there's, as well as the main radio stations, Radio Wales, you know, Radio 2, yeah. all that, there are a lot of radio stations all around the world now, and some of them... Yeah, yeah. Uh, like us, they do podcasts of the interviews they do. So I, yeah. I, I'm just thinking about what I wanted people to think about when they see this in these interviews. And yeah. uh, tr you know, what does a record sound like? Because there's so much competition now. You need any little advantage to get people to play the record or to, to listen to it at least. And uh, you've you got to. So the record itself sounds a little bit, you know, 70, late 70s disco. Daft Punk meets... You know, a club Tropicana yeah. is what we've 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 been saying. So it needed that sort of like a, and like not psychedelic exactly. Anyway, I was looking at some uh, images, and there's a lady called Carolyn Little who is a painter based in Swansea. Mm -hmm. um, I think she's in her mid seventies, something like that, and she creates mm -hmm. these wonderful collages of of colour and shape and everything. So I saw the one behind me, and I I emailed her and I said, look, I, I'm making a record. I'd love to use it as part of the part of the artwork and she was delighted and she's mm. been terrific and really excited about it so my son and uh, he's he was made redundant uh, during the pandemic so he had plenty of time on his hands Johnny so I thought well he used to be an art director on TV could you maybe knock together a cover for me so I sent him some photographs sent him this image and and he put the cover together and to be honest people like the cover more than the record <laughs> 
<laughs> story of my life, Johnny. Story of my life. <laughs> it's, it's good to have sons that can do things. Exactly. My son's like a physio. He's, he's got a phys, um, astrophysics degree and he's brilliant at computers. Oh. So he did. He does all sorts of stuff for me, like Fantastic. websites and yeah. da 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 da. And I had an album out years ago, and he said, oh, "I'll do the cover for you." And he mocked one up, you know. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, great. And you've so, but that looks yeah. really, really good. That I mean, it's, it's yeah, colours. So. And I'm colour blind. Okay. Are you? Yeah, only in certain colours. Browns and greens and, and reds, they tend to be... I see they're different, but I don't know which one's which. Wow. And um, I didn't know this for years, you know, and yeah. I was on a ship once, and I had to have a, a medical for the for the crews and that, and they said, any problems? They said, well, I don't know. I said, well, I can't see any colours. And you got these little charts out. They used to have them in school when you were kids, and you can see numbers in amongst all these different colours. He said, you're colourblind. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And the, the family have a great time, you know, saying, what's the hell is that, Dad? You know, what colour is that? But I can see these because they're very vibrant. You've got a vibrant red and blue and some yellows and greens and that. It looks really good. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the guy used to do Elton John's uh, artwork called Mike Ross. Um, fantastic artist, was photographer and art director. Yeah. Um, and he was colourblind. It came out, very, you know, uh, spectacularly when he had to do a cartoon of Elton and gave him green hair. He thought he was blonde, you know, but yeah, actually yeah, yeah. he was just ahead of his time because Elton probably had green hair afterwards, you know. So it's uh, it is it's a it's a. Funny I think thing. Van Gogh must have been colourful. <laughs> Blue treesies. <laughs> I'll have a pint of whatever he's drinking. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, it's, so yeah. it's out now. Out now. And out now, yeah. And uh, have you had any re reaction yet, or is it, is it too early to tell? No, great. We get you know it's getting played all over the place. Um, it, the interviews are coming in thick and fast. Radio Scotland next week, Radio Wales this week uh, with Benaz. Um Yeah, it's it's getting played. You know, they, and they like one of the stations played it on the weekend was uh, what's it called now? The Face uh, radio station in Brooklyn. The guy oh, broadcasts out of France through Brooklyn. So it, it went out sort of like lunchtime, Brooklyn time. And I was, you know, it's, just, it's a bizarre small world. Uh, an interest from Kenya yesterday from a, a guy who runs a radio station in Kenya. He's, he wants to play it. So, you know, you know, who knows? I worked there once. Was I it good? I worked in Kenya once. Uh, can I, I drop your name? Into, will you open some doors? <laughs> will, you, will you open any doors or shut them? <laughs> No, I did a I did a week in the, no a month for it in the um, Intercontinental Hotel in, in in Nairobi. Wow! So they flew me out to this gig, and I get there, the band's German. I can't read the music. I had a five-hour band call. I said, "Where's the pianist?" He said, "We haven't got a pianist." I said, "Who plays the piano then?" He said, "The drummer." He said, "Well, who plays the drums?" He said, "The bass player." <laughs> I don't believe this is like a sketch. No, but I, Nairobi. It was a lovely place, actually. I was on the Uhuru Highway. So they planned it in Kenya. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, you know, I don't want to jump to too many conclusions, but we're we're going global anyway, Johnny. That's what that's what it is. We're going global. Well, everything's global now, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's out online. I mean, you know, go connect. Well, I'm still trying to plug my 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 book. I tell you what, then next week, like, can I interview you about your book? Ah, oh, you can if you like. Thanks, boys. Let's do <laughs> I, that I've then. Got a, yeah, I got a big Zoom call now to uh, Thursday with the. Um, Publicity person. Right. It's to do with the, the public. It's to do with the publishers. Right. They do a big thing. They wrote to me. The public said, "Look, we're, we're meeting with these PROP, PR people, and um, we're very interested how you've written your book because it's a semi-autobiographical book, but it's a novel, and you've used your own story. And we'd like to know and, and encourage other people to do this because if they write about themselves and they're Joe Blow, nobody's going to buy it." Yeah. 
if it's Tom Jones, they'll go and buy his, re- buy his book because it's Tom Jones. So they should be encouraged then to write their stories, but as novels. Yes. So they put me as their poster boy. Fantastic. And they, they said, can you send us five copies of the book? Because I had, I had a bit of a stock here as well. Um, and they're going to send them to um, different newspaper people and so on. So I was fingers crossed on that one. So I'm speaking to that. So right. you've got to do these Zooms. You've got to do all the, the plugs you can do and get them in. All right. Well, look, um, tell them you've got a big podcast booked for next week. And yes. uh, all about the book and all about the publicity. I mean, I'll, I'll tweet sure. it. Yeah, fantastic. I'm a, tweet, I'm a tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> you know you said about... Uh, Elton John. Yeah. But a girl I know, she was in. She's a dancer. She came to Monte Carlo with me. She was in that um, video he did of uh, "I'm Still Standing." Really? And 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 Bruno Tonielli was one of the other dancers. Wow. You know where they go? I'm still standing. They're doing the spinning like that. Yes. Sandy, she had this wonderful hair. It's like thick, thick. She's half Spanish. Wow. And when she used to dance with me, and she'd string like that, and she hit me with the head, and he knocked me over. <laughs> But, yeah, so we've got a connection with Elton John. Yeah, I've got a connection. All right, well, well look, thank, thanks. So what do we do now at the end? We're going to say it's good. But before we go, right. what's the name of the song again? Oh, it's called I, I Still Think About You on MPH Records. You can find it on any of the downloading sites right now. OK, you hear it over here, folks, right on there, folks. Says you agree. <laughs> you got all the plugs well, in? Did I get all the plugs in? I got all the plugs in. <laughs> I got all the plugs in, John. So it's all right. <laughs> goodbye from me. See you next week. And goodbye from... It's goodbye from me. Bye. Yeah. Au revoir. Au revoir.